bounce note is a note that's played, but goes unnoticed, like so much of the work behind the music before it hits our eardrums. I'm Hannah Copeland. Join me for in-depth, honest, and unpredictable interviews of Kansas City's music makers, plus new music happenings to put on your radar. It's all on Ghost Notes via the Fountain City Frequency Network. Am I too much of this, too much of that? Do a text too much cause you don't text me back? Growing up, Stefan Singleton told people he wanted to play music. He's black, he's tall, he's a dude, and that's why he thinks most people responded saying, so, you want to be a rapper? But people's assumptions were far different from Stefan's true musical dreams. Our Ghost Notes producer, Jamie Searle, and Stefan are recording an album right now called Caged Bird Sings about Redbeard. Today, Stefan sheds light on the darkness that comes with feeling like a caged bird, and the joys of being set free. This is Ghost Notes. So let's just start from the very beginning. Tell me about the music you were surrounded by growing up. Gosh, it was so much um, old school soul, um, R&B. So a lot of Isley Brothers, um, also Patti LaBelle, uh, these awful LSG, Keith Sweat records and R. Kelly records that my mom just loved to play all the time. All kinds of music, and it was always on. And um, it was really great to have such differing elements of those genres and artists surrounding me so I could hear different voices and vocals. And it was really great to spend most of my time growing up around my mom and my grandma because I was really exposed to a lot more female voices you know Mm -hmm. I got to hear a lot of Mary J Blige I got to hear a lot of um, powerful women sing and to me they were doing more with their voices um, than the men that I had heard were doing and I found that so intriguing and so powerful and being around so many strong black women you know growing up you know, and hearing that narrative and these songs and hearing that emotion and seeing their struggle daily and their triumphs daily as well, I think really shaped my taste um, and also what I wanted to do with my voice, maybe that most male singers that you hear don't do. I always call myself a love child of Prince and Billie Holiday. If some like weird time lapse warp dimensional hop happened and they happened to hook up, I would be the the offspring of their love. Who did you live with growing up? I lived with my mom. Um, My dad was in the house um, as well, but uh, didn't really have the, the strongest relationship with him and uh so i grew up actually in wyandotte county Mm -hmm. and um went to all the wyandotte county like catholic schools growing up i was catholic school boy my whole life and um really observed so many incredible uh, trials and tribulations you know uh what trials and tribulations i just think like the normal stuff that anyone has you know like financial struggles you know like wyandotte county is run down, you know, to say the least. I think it's getting a lot better, but 
I know growing up as a kid, um, I would always have friends that lived over in Johnson County or lived in Leewood or Cedar Creek. And I would see these houses and I would just be like, oh, my goodness. Like, does this really exist? You know, like I have like a messed up looking bathroom that just happens to work. And like my kitchen is a little patched up, you know, uh, but we may do with what we had and that's what you had to do. And so want to make something of myself and hopefully make more opportunity for people in Wyandotte County, you know, with music. I mean, that was always something I never really had the opportunities that I, I really wanted to have. You began singing in your church choir at age five or six. How long did you sing in the church choir? I sang in the church choir probably a little bit through high school. And how often were you going to church? Gosh. I guess you're in Catholic school, so multiple times. Listen, yes. So so at school, you go, right? You go at least once a week during the week. And then uh, we went every Sunday. My grandmother is like the most incredible um, woman in the universe, you know, besides my mom. And uh, is so devout, you know, as far as Catholicism goes. And... That wasn't, I don't think, always super easy for me, you know, being um, being black, being gay. It, you know, it, it was just, it was a really hard, um, a hard fit. And um, I definitely felt some of that, that devotion, and I definitely um, felt some of that community, but I never really necessarily uh, felt like everything was always right. Does that play into your music today? Yeah, totally. Um, I was always, like I said, kind of a quiet kid that felt things and observed things, uh, but never really felt like I fit in or that I really had a place. You know, I had all of these feelings that either someone said were wrong or disordered, or I had all of these feelings that I was encouraged not to show as a black man. You know, like you're supposed to be strong and tough and you're not supposed to be a wimp. You're not supposed to cry. You know, I heard that a lot from my dad's side of the family and and even my dad sometimes. And that was that was really crappy, you know. So I think a lot of like the angst and the emotion and the the tears and um, all of it, you know, comes from from that. When you were growing up and you told people you wanted to play music, people would ask you if you wanted to be a rapper. Yeah. And I was like, why? (laughs) Like before even like hearing me talk about what I did, um, what genre I was interested in, it was just assumed, I guess, because I'm tall and black and intimidating. I'm not intimidating, am I? I don't think. Mm -mm. Right. (laughs) People would be like, oh, so you're a rapper? And I'd be like, no, actually, I don't even like rap a little bit you know to just sing when did you first get into the studio I was 14 I want to say and uh, I just knew deep deep down that music was it you know I was able to borrow $40 an hour you know to be in this studio downtown Chapman recording um, at like 12 o'clock at night so I could get $40 an hour rates (laughs) (laughs) as a 14 year old as a 14 year old yeah tell me about the first song you wrote and recorded gosh what was that i think it was called love you and it was some like litany or something and i had just uh i don't know i just kind of put things together i kind of felt like maybe all artists feel 
that you you use what's around you, you use your environment, you kind of use what you have. So in my B program, I just had a patch of sounds. You know, I didn't have a, a wide array. I didn't know how to record new sounds. I just had what was there. Um, and I didn't know if it was good. I didn't know if it was bad. I didn't really care. You know, I just felt that it connected to me and this like weird feeling and understanding of love that I thought I had at a young age, like since I was in fourth grade or something. Was it about someone? I think it was about love in general. I think I was just like love obsessed, love on the brain. And I have been my entire life. Um, and I can't really explain that to anyone, you know, like everyone else, you know, when I'm younger in school, is like running around serially dating and um, they're like 14 and 15 and people are being crazy, having relationship drama. And I'm like, they just don't understand love. If I had love, you know, like I would do so much better, you know, with it, you know. And um, like I said, going to a Catholic school my whole life, that wasn't something that was an option for me, really. Um, I didn't really feel loved or liked or looked at in that way. And um, there was this longing. There's always been this longing. And I think that that is definitely in the music. You know, you definitely hear that. Tell you something I think you understand When I feel that something I wanna hold you Catholic school that that's you know this isn't an option for me this is this isn't gonna happen I think I realized really early on I think um it was like the fourth grade or so I had like had crushes on girls or whatever and uh but nothing like ever that was really like super serious I think I just had like play crushes on girls because all the boys had crushes on girls and then I think around like fourth grade or so I just kind of was like oh no like, that's not for me. I like the Green Ranger more than I like the Pink Ranger, so. <laughs> Tommy! Um, so, yeah, I just, I kind of exhibited um, behaviors, too, that people kind of, like, pointed out. Like, I would want to, like, play the Pink Ranger, you know? Or I'd be the Black Ranger, too. I didn't really care. But, like, I thought the Pink Ranger was really cool. Or I liked Storm and the X-Men maybe more than I liked Wolverine. Growing up, did you want to be a pop star? I think I wanted to be like the people that I loved watching on MTV, you know, like I wanted um, to be able to express myself artistically. I wanted to be able to to be in a, a music video world like Missy Elliott. You know, I wanted to um, rock out like I saw Kurt Cobain do or Courtney Love. Um, I wanted to be able to for whatever reason I couldn't really explain then touch the world you know these people these artists you know were all over TV they they were on CBS they were on NBC they were everywhere you know I saw how Michael Jackson affected every single person in the world it didn't matter who you were my dad was obsessed with Michael Jackson so there would be times like year after year he would just pop in this Michael Jackson video and he would talk about how great Michael was and he would scream yell at the TV and I was like gosh that's amazing if I can make someone 
feel that, you know, and not be so invisible, you know, or not feel so invisible like, you know, I felt sometimes in my life and really shine through and be able to express myself. And the only way I could do that was through music. You released your first album in college, Mm -hmm. correct? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Oh, gosh. It's called Melancholy Man. And I was in this group called Glory Blue. And I met this kid. His name was Justin Mannion. And uh, he played guitar. And I had gotten tired of uh, really making beats and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't have any uh, real avenue or... or, um, tool you know to make music with even though you study music yeah you know no (laughs) i knew i i learned the piano well enough um to kind of write but i think in the early part of college i was still really scared of that and i was still really scared of notes and music and dictation and um, the formality of music the formality of it you know i didn't know that that was i didn't know that existed i just knew music and I just knew what I felt when I heard it and how it how it affected the world, you know, the ethos of everything. Yeah. Um, he started to just play the guitar, and um, eventually we decided to do a couple shows here or there, and then we ended up coming up with the band name, Glory Blue, and put together an album. Do you still work with him at all? No. Um, we parted ways, I want to say, my senior year of college and he just didn't want what I wanted. He didn't want to touch the world with music. Um, I also don't think just on a personal level um, that we were in the same place anymore. And that was really tough for me. I think I was really bummed. I was really down in the dumps. I felt like a part of me had died in a way, you know, because I had invested so much time and so much money into that, but also so much love you know, with this person and so much trust. All of these songs were coming from the deepest and darkest places, and I'd never explored those. And then I felt like someone had kind of just left me on the ocean by myself in a boat, you know, in the middle of a storm. And so all of these things are swirling and swirling, and um, it was it was really rough. It was really hard. And um, I was just in a, in a real spot. But um, I went through that and then landed in Kansas City and then gosh i went through a lot more craziness (laughs) yeah you said it was a really dark time when you moved back to the city and your last release until we'll talk we'll get to your new release coming up soon but your last release was in 2009 and um for someone who loves music so much what's it been like for the last seven years you know making your way through kansas city and adjusting here and not being able to produce that one thing that you Gosh. the love of your life it was it's it's an indescribable thing to not live your purpose and i think anyone that is not living their purpose and feels down in the dumps and doesn't know why they're around or what they're doing you know that hopelessness that you feel that that deep down nitty gritty bottom of the barrel feeling um i felt that for for so long it felt like and I, you know, was looking for fullness and wholeness through drinking. I was looking for it at the gay clubs. I was looking for it in all of these men that were awful and um, treated me like crap. Um, 
but it didn't matter because it was a feeling, you know, and I was feeling something. And I just remembered how I felt when I was making that music and I'd written some songs. I was starting to kind of get back to that place where I felt I needed to write and I was going through all of this emotional crises and um, really depending on music to save me. How did you, if you're going through these emotional crises, how did that translate into a concept album about an album, uh, a robot coming down? To I think that was like me world. wanting to escape my emotional crises and it, me wanting to just be creative. And... Who did you, I mean, you're making something, you're putting out an album actually tomorrow. <laughs> um, you're releasing that. How did that, where, tell me about, you know, what picked you up again to, to release that? Um, I guess it would have been 2013, probably. And um, I'd written a couple more songs and I was just like, okay, it's now or never. I think I was like, wearing some heels or something. It was like gay pride. I'd performed. Um, drag? Yeah, Keita Rose. That's my my drag persona. Um, but she went down in flames. She uh, fell down on a sidewalk in a crack and <laughs> and hurt her, her ankle. So my ankle was hurt, you know, and uh, I couldn't work for a week or two weeks. I couldn't be on my, my leg. And uh, he just happened to be there. He was like, oh, my God, let me call this guy that I know. I think he'd be perfect for this project. So I don't know what to expect. I'm like, okay, you know, this is great. We're going to get in the studio. Um, But I don't know who this guy is that he's talking about. So they come to my apartment, and it's Andrew and Jamie Cyril. And uh, if you ever first meet Jamie Cyril, it's like, I I don't, you just don't know what to think. (laughs) I love him so much. But I was just kind of like, who is this guy? You know, like I started singing my song, um, hide and seek, which will be on the album. And he just started playing. He just like, he knew exactly what it was supposed to sound like. And I had not articulated a chord to him whatsoever, but he got it. And he was the first person to ever get it and get how grand it was. And the next thing I knew he was scheduling horn players and drummers and guitarists. And we were in the studio and we were recording hide and seek. And it was the most unreal thing ever. And it has not stopped since then. I think that I've been waiting to make this album my whole entire life. Um, and that's that's what it feels like. It feels like this culmination of, of my 29 years here on the planet Earth. Your album is called Caged Birds Sing Songs About Redbeard. Yeah. Can you tell me about that title? Um, one, I really like like long literary titles. Um, so I remember growing up and one of my favorite albums was the Fiona, um, Apple record. It was when the pawn hits the blah, 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 and it keeps going on forever and ever and ever and ever. And there's something so mysterious about that, you know, other than like, uh, if I just name my album red, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, okay, red like or, <laughs> or angry or, or bleach or, you know, like that's great. But. I wanted something that had multiple layers. So uh, for me, Cage Bird, you know, I felt like for a lot of my life, I think, but especially when I had met this guy in 2010, um, that I was kind of caged in. And he, you know, either neglected me. And I kind of go to this imagery, this imagery of, uh, of pirate, 
you know, and a like a parrot in a cage. Hmm. Um, and how you're just there for the entertainment of the pirate, you know. But what if the pirate doesn't care? You know what I mean? Like he could not feed you. He could not give you water. You know, you're in there squawking. You're singing. You're you're doing your best. You know. Um, but it doesn't matter. You know, you're just an object. And um, also, if the cage, the door is open, right? I was in a place where I could have. I could have stepped away from this man so many times, you know, but the, the addiction of, of lust and the want for love and that longing keeps you there and the door is open. You can go at any time, but you're still there. So when I say cage bird, I'm not saying that I'm a victim by any means. What I'm saying is that sometimes in love, in life, we cage ourselves even, um, and, you know, I, I think Redbeard, too, is not necessarily just about one man. I think it's about multiple men that I've met my entire life. Um, it's about multiple situations. I think that it's easier for listeners and easier for people to gravitate towards something that is uh, more one-dimensional or um, that has character that has a character to it. So being able to take all those layers and then infuse them into these characters, a cage bird and a man named Redbeard, you know, I think helps people a little bit more than the story of my life, you know, like my soap opera of yeah. 29 years, you know, and that's, that's, that's what this is, man. It's, um, it's, it's about love and it's about, um, the abuse of love that we, we go through and also that we, um, do to each other i think it's just for it's for the world it's for for anyone that feels like they're not understood um when they love somebody i want to be the voice that says it's okay you know feel it um if i can say this out loud in this song if i can be this dark then you you're going to be okay you know what i mean I, i want people to feel okay and i want them to feel like they're speaking through me like their voices matter You can see Stefan Singleton perform live this Friday night, April 22nd, at Prohibition Hall. He'll be performing songs from his latest album, Caged Bird Sings Songs About Redbeard, live. These are never-before-heard tracks. He describes them as funky soul and rock and roll. Storm, Kansas City's own hip-hop MC, who has a ton of stage charisma, spunk, and poignant lyrics, is showing a documentary about her live performances April 23rd from 7 to 9 at the UMKC Student Union Theater. It's a free event. It's a good chance to meet Storm and learn about what it's like going through the process of making a documentary about your own work and what it's like setting up so many live shows, which is completely necessary if you're going to make it as a musician. On April 29th, we have one of my favorite kinds of shows, a house show, featuring Little Big Bangs from St. Louis and local rockers, scammers, and Schwerbon. Schwerbon has an exclamation point at the end of their name, plus the local, new, apparently hottest dance sensation, Toad Tartare, whose music is so hot you can't put it on the web yet. 
it might burn it up. If you'd like an invite to the show, you have to send us an email at ghostnotespodcast at gmail.com. Finally, I'm going to close out our musical forecast with the biggest event, which I hope you've heard of. It's called Middle of the Map Fest on April 27th through May 7th. There's more than 100 bands from all over America and Kansas City. I'd say the best way to explore this festival is just go to middleofthemapfest.com. Ghost Notes is recorded at the studios of KCUR 89.3 and produced by Matt Hodap, Jamie Searle, and myself, Hannah Copeland. Our website, FountainCityFrequency.com, was designed by Matthew Sullivan. Go to FountainCityFrequency.com to see links to all of these events and check out our other podcasts, Paris of the Plains and Archiver. Our next episode comes out on May 5th with Mikhail Shapiro. If you have any suggestions for us, comments, or to promote your show, send us an email to ghostnotespodcast at gmail.com.